Hello, everyone. Welcome to Prophecy Roundtable. We don't have all the answers, but we're going to have a great conversation. And I am delighted to let everyone know that our good friend, Scott Harwell, is back from Israel. And we have a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about Hamas. We're going to talk about Gog Magog and many other things related to what is happening in Israel. Now, guys, we'd love it if you would subscribe, if you'd hit the like button, share this. That's how this gets bigger. And we'd love to see this just blow up. So that'd be fantastic. So Scott, uh, Baruch Haba, welcome. Welcome back to the United States. Boy, you were there about two weeks. And, three, uh, about three weeks. About three weeks. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. you just barely got out, it sounds like. So yeah. tell us what was happening. Yeah, yeah. The, the plan was to return on Sunday with a nice little flight, direct flight from Tel Aviv to Atlanta. And but I was down in Elad. I left the tour. I was able and finally able to get my rental car, which I could not get the first six days because Dom didn't renew his license. And so the, they nobody would rent me a car at first. So my plans for the first six days got nixed. And instead of doing my little tour on the front end for six days and doing a tour to Israel. I was in Jerusalem, which isn't a bad place to get stuck, but it, it got old after about five or six days. I, I think I, I walked all the way around Jerusalem and saw a bunch of stuff, but, but then joined the tour and I think it was on Thursday. I was able to rent a car on Wednesday and on Thursday I did my little own little Northern tour. Of mm. Israel, I saw yeah. uh, the gates of hell. I went and saw <laughs> Tel Dan. I just, that, that places yeah. I had not been on my previous, right. trip, but I wanted to see it. And then I just did a tour to Israel, and I made it. Went back down to the desert, slept there that night in uh, in Tamar, biblical Tamar, and then I drove to the next morning to a lot and, and enjoyed a lot, like a resort area. And I woke up mm -hmm. Saturday morning, and as I'm leaving, the hotel manager comes and gets me. She goes. You might want to check for road closures. I'm like, what? What's going on? She said, yeah, there's been an attack. And so I had wow. a lot, no sirens went off or anything. So. Yeah, so of I course, checked. that's very south there in a lot. I mean, you're yeah. away from Gaza, but still, Israel's a small country. Uh, people don't realize how small Israel is. It's about the size of what? They say New Jersey or maybe Rhode Island or something. It's incredibly small when you start looking at it. It's about, I think, 180 some miles long. And at the narrowest point, it's about, what, seven, eight miles? The north, yes. And down in yeah. the south, <laughs> those two areas, it is. And yeah, yeah, I was actually, I went to Mount Hermon. I missed yeah. a little trolley to go to the very top by five minutes. And oh, man. Around. And then, because I wanted to go to the top of Mount Hermon. And then, yeah, it. I think from the maps, it would be like a six-hour drive without traffic from Mount Hermon, the very most northern part of israel down to the lot which is the most southern part of israel so it's a very small country yeah. and so it wasn't certainly within rocket range but i'm assuming that hamas didn't launch any rockets toward a lot that's just probably not on their number one of hit list if you will so but anyway it was i was pretty calm my wife was freaking out because we discussed this recently before we came on the air that he had told me several times are you sure you want to go you're a prophecy geek and you think that something might actually happen during the biblical feast days. And I said, yeah, it could, it might. And then when all this happened, she was not a happy camper with me. <laughs> Having to bump her down in a hotel room as rockets were flying and everything. Yeah, that's a very different experience. I lived there back in the 90s, late 90s, and there were, there were some bus bombings. Uh, I remember a Sabaro was blown up. So it was very sad stuff. There was some loss of life, but 
relatively small compared to what we're dealing with now. And there were never any missiles flying when I, while I was there. So you had a very different experience than what I had. I can just imagine that's quite surreal. You were at the airport as well when there were rockets flying. Is that right? Yes. I was able, none of the American airlines flew after Saturday. So they, all the flights were canceled. Even when I tried to rebook through Delta, it got canceled. Air Canada got canceled. My Turkish flight got canceled. So I still, I don't know how I heard this, but I knew that Ethiopian was still flying. So I booked on Ethiopian uh, airlines and had to fly to Ethiopia. But while I was there, it was supposed to take off like around, I think around, it was supposed to take off around 2.30 or 3. And so obviously I got to the airport early. And then as I'm sitting there waiting, Halisa had, we had a little WhatsApp group text chain going on. She said, by the way, Hamas just launched a bunch of rockets your way. So oh, wow. they all, I was in the airport. And so the plane obviously was delayed taking off. I was sitting there and I heard at least one, no doubt explosion. Everybody in the airport mm. kind of, kind of jumped. I don't know if it was from a rocket getting shot down above near the airport or if something landed near the airport, but it was, it's pretty freaky. I'll put it that way. I, wow. I don't envy, I don't envy those living in Israel right now, especially I, I was more concerned if Hezbollah got involved this what I understand from the reports, they actually have guided rockets. They have much mm-hmm. weapons than, than Hamas does in, in the Gaza Strip. And if they start yeah. to send drones. Yeah. So lo- let's dig into this a little bit about, about Hamas. So the word actually means violence in Hebrew. I'm not entirely sure what it means in uh, Arabic, though it might be similar. But the entire uh, charter of the Hamas organization is the destruction, annihilation of Israel. So it's really hard to make peace with somebody who wants to kill you. That's their whole reason for existing is to wipe out Israel. Okay, why are they so gung-ho on wiping out Israel? This is where it gets a little bit complicated. Obviously, there were people living in the land, uh, a lot of people. And let's make it clear that from the time of the second Jewish revolt, around 135 AD, under uh, Caesar Hadrian, He was so ticked off at the Jews that they revolted again, right? This is 65 years after Titus came in and destroyed the the temple and all that, that the Jews revolted again, 135 AD. And Hadrian came in, he put them down. This was under the time of uh, Simon Bar Kokhba. And it was Rabbi Akiva that was proclaiming him to be the Messiah. Of course, he wasn't. So anyway, Hadrian uh, salted the land. He told the Jews, don't come back on pain of death. He changed the name of Jerusalem to Aelia Capitolina. He changed the name of Judea to Palestine, right? And that's where we get the name. So it has been Palestine for the last 2,000 years. Why did he call it the whole area Palestine? To rub salt in their wounds, basically, because he knew that the Philistines were the ones that were uh, a thorn in the flesh to Israel all those years. And and then the Jews became a thorn in his side. And so he wanted to <laughs> return the favor. And so he renamed it to Palestine. All right. So if you look at the maps from roughly the last 2000 years, they have on that area, it's called Palestine. And there, there was a, a, a lot of different, a lot of people were living there. You had Christians living there for some time. Obviously, obviously you have, uh, Helena, Constantine's mother, she came in in the fourth century and she started just pointing and said, this happened over here and that happened over there. 
<laughs> and still some of those places are tourist sites today, whether they're the real place or not. There are still tourist sites, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which in my opinion is not the actual place, but hey, it's what it is at the moment. And that's thanks to her and a number of other places. The Temple Mount really became a trash heap because nobody cared about it. And then around the 600s is when they, the Muslims were then more in more power and they took over and they cleaned it up and converted it into the, the Dome of the Rock, and then later the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And they worked hard to try to create this myth. And many Muslims do not accept this, but, but especially the ones in Jerusalem are trying to have this whole idea that Jerusalem is Islam's third holiest site after Mecca and Medina. Then they would talk about Jerusalem. In fact, in, in Arabic, they call it Al-Quds, which means the holy place. Kutz meaning same as Kadosh. And, and so that's the mythology. And then according to the myth, it was from Jerusalem that Muhammad rode his horse, was it lightning? I think it is uh, up into the sky and whatever, something or other. So that, that's part of the mythology. All right. Did it stick? I don't know. Who knows? But in any event, you do have the Dome of the Rock there and the Jordanians have had some influence there. And so now when we talk about the Palestinian territory, there are kind of three different areas. You have what's known as the West Bank. It's called the West Bank because it is west of the country of Jordan. It's actually east of Israel. And that's what creates a little bit of confusion. Wait, how can this be the West Bank when it's east? But it's to the west of Jordan. And so that's the idea that it's on the West Bank of the Jordan River from the perspective of Jordan. And so that name in and of itself is already a slap in the face saying, hey, we belong to Jordan. And a lot of the Palestinians used to have Jordanian passports. Some still do. So they have a, a little thing going on where they have kind of the citizenship with the Jordanians and whatnot. Then you have the Gaza Strip down to the south and on the coast. And then you have an area up in the north in the Galilee area. So those are the three different pockets of the Palestinian territory. Now, the Palestinians, now let's go back just for a second because when the British came in, there were, at, that, at the late part of the 1800s, there were a lot more Jews that were coming into the area. Of course, then the British took control of it and even more Jews. You had uh, Lord Rothschild who wrote a letter saying that it'd be great if the Jews had their own homeland. And this eventually became a, a mandate of the British government that the Jews should have a homeland. And, and so that it started. But again, they were all called Palestinians. That's what's really interesting about this. Jews and Arabs, Muslims, whatever. So from the Palestinians' perspective, the modern-day Palestinians, they feel that they were kicked out of their homes, that the Jews came in and just started pushing them around. From the Jews' perspective, uh, many would say, no, we bought the land, we worked the land. It started to come alive when we came back, which I'd lean more, obviously, much more on the Jewish side of things. But again, it's never quite that easy, right? It's not that everything was done perfectly. It's not that the Jews were always the good guys and the Palestinians were always the bad guys. That's not yeah, the case. If you, study the, if you study the history, there was, again, there were Jewish terrorists that were bombing. I think they bombed the British embassy or they bombed something. They killed a lot of people. And I think that's right. when Britain had enough and said, we're out of here. And it was happening from both sides, both, both right. the Muslims and some of the Jewish terrorists. And not, right. there, there's no... 
this is never going to get worked out until you shoot him. <laughs> that's right. That's, Absolutely right. <laughs> this, this goes back to Abraham, him not trusting Yah and deciding to listen to his wife, but at one time he couldn't listen to her. And, and, <laughs> and then we get Ishmael. And then we have, you know, then we follow the line further down the family tree. And then you have Jacob and Esau, say, and then you've got the, so this is no UN treaty, no politicians are going to resolve this conflict. Even if we, even if they, we can talk about that in a little bit. Even if we think we have some covenant or peace treaty that's going to settle this issue, it's not going to get settled. Right. Yeah. And that's what makes it complicated. I think it's really easy for us to sometimes say Israel is a hundred percent correct. I would say they're probably 85% correct in my assessment. And I do think that Israel would love to have peace. They really would give up a slice of land if they could have true lasting peace. But the tricky part is that you're they're dealing with a snake here because it's in the nature of the snake to bite you. And it's in the nature of the Palestinian territory or the Palestinian Authority, especially Hamas, which is an organization within the Palestinian Authority, to seek for the utter destruction, annihilation uh, of Israel. Okay, so it, it's hard to rebel. sit down and have talks when the guy sitting across from you wants nothing more than to kill you and rub you out of existence. How do you ever have any kind of discussion? Well, that's been the history of it. I was talking with you about it and I put a post. I'm, I've unfriended block probably about 20 or 30 people with their like my wife got attacked for saying she supported Israel. She now understands that she's grafted into Israel. And she, what, what she meant is she supports the, the nation state of Israel and the Jews that live there and their rights to live in peace. But again, there's, I, I, I agree with you, Doug. I don't think that the nation state of Israel, the Jewish people that live there now, I think they would love to have peace. No doubt they would love to have peace. But as you said, there is a, the true believers of Islam, the ones that actually read the book seriously. Yeah. and take it seriously, the ones that focus on those verses, there, there's no yeah, negotiating. Kill a Jew behind every rock and tree. and Yeah, there, there's no negotiating with them. Yeah. They're true believers in certain of those verses, the way they interpret it and the way their imams interpret it. And again, I, I don't believe that what happened in 1948 49, when the UN declared the modern nation state of Israel was fulfillment of prophecy, but I 100% agree that for Zechariah to be fulfilled, Zechariah 10 through 14, which are entirely Judah centric passages, mm -hmm. Judah, the house of Judah had to be in the land. And, and we both know that the way that um, our brothers in Judah determine who is Jewish is completely the opposite of the way the Bible says, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's by patriarchy, not matriarchy. If your daddy is, if your mama is a Gentile now of the nations and your daddy is 100% Jewish, you're not Jewish. <laughs> and, and so I disagree with them on their, on how they even determine who is Jewish or not. And we're on right. a bunch of mutts right now. Anyway, for all I know, <laughs> my great times, 150 granddaddy, he could have been Caleb who wasn't even Jewish to begin with, but he got grafted in. We just don't know what all happened, but this, what I'm seeing is this is post by so-called, so-called believers who now understand that they're Israel. They've been influenced by these teachers who are now calling all Jews, fake Jews, or they're believing this British Israelite nonsense. I'm going to go against the white man first, this, that the Europeans are the true Jews. And then you've got the African, it's growing like mushrooms among Americans. They're not denying Yeshua. 
they're putting their faith in Yeshua. They're now actually returning to keeping Shabbat and the feast and things of that nature. But with that is this anti-Jewish, calling them fake Jews, the synagogue right. of Satan. And, yeah. and it, it makes my blood boil because, yeah, maybe yeah. at the very top, yeah. there's a satanic conspiracy. And we all agree on this. We know what's going to happen at the end. And there is a satanic conspiracy. But do you think your average rabbi or your or the ninety nine point nine nine percent of the people that I encountered in Israel are part of that? No, and, and yet it's like this blinded by race by religion that it, again it's not going to get solved until Yeshua. <laughs> and let's make it really clear that when we talk about Commonwealth theology, we are not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that we are replacing. The Jewish people. What we're suggesting is we are joining into this greater thing. Okay. And part of it is our nomenclature, Scott, is for many years I held this view as because I heard it from all these other teachers that Israel equals the Jews equal Israel. And I thought they were one and the same. And only later did I really put two and two together. And I'm like, oh my goodness, wait a second. There is the house of Judah and there's a the house of Israel. This is sometimes known as two house theology. I really don't entirely subscribe to that either uh, because the people that are in the two house theology start to get uppity and they're like, I've got just as much right as any Jew. In fact, maybe more. And they're jerks. But what God has intended to do, and he's told us like in the book of Ezekiel, it's all over the place. He's talking all the time about the house of Israel, the house of Judah, house of Israel, house of Judah. The prophet Hosea is talking about these two houses. Jeremiah, the new covenant for whoever's sake, right? The new covenant, behold, I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, right? It's all over the place. And yet most of our Christian theology glosses right over this. Well, so we, what we're talking about is that, that the house of Judah, the Jews and the house of Israel are coming back together. And that has been the big plan has to put them back together. That's the mystery that Paul was talking about and, and other things as well. I did a post. It, it's almost like some of these, I'm going to just call them Hebrew uprooters that would make Hitler, the Russian czar pogroms, and Martin Luther all proud. And I'm using that very facetiously and sarcastically. It, it's like they, just like Roman Catholicism and replacement theology, it's like they've completely forgotten about ro what Romans 11 says. And if they get arrogant for the natural branches, and again, I don't give a rat's butt if a person doesn't have Jewish blood in them. It doesn't, it does not matter. People, I'm sorry, but there were millions killed in the Holocaust. There were hundreds of thousands killed in the Russian pogroms. There, look what the Roman Catholic Church did in the Inquisitions and forcing Jews to convert. Eat, eat this pig, give up Shabbat or we'll kill you. I don't agree a lot with uh, Michael Brown's theology as a a Jewish form of dispensationalism that he believes, he says, he's Jewish, he should keep Shabbat, he should keep the feast, only he should eat clean food. Mm. You and I would differ with him, but he put, he, he wrote a great book uh, a while ago called Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, which just, if, and it's almost as if some of these individuals who now have eyes to see and ears to hear that they are part of Israel, Right. Part. That's the key word. And they, they're, they're branches grafted into the tree. And, and Romans yep. 11 is, look, these natural branches, they're broken off. They are going to be grafted in again. Yep. Zechariah will be fulfilled. Right. It's going to be fulfilled. Now, it's not going to be fulfilled until the end. And then where Paul talked about 
all Israel will be saved. That includes the house of Judah and those that currently reject Yeshua as Messiah. But how in the world are, are, are you know, like it was interesting, Doug, on the way over, I, for about the first three hours in the flight, I was sitting by a, by a young man. He's probably in his late twenties. He had immigrated to America. He was originally from Venezuela. I could tell he was Orthodox. He was studying, he said he was studying Torah up in a big school in New Jersey, like the largest school for Torah. After a while in this conversation, I could tell what he's really studying is Talmud. Because mm -hmm. I would discuss mm -hmm. scripture with him and this young man who supposedly is doing this lifelong study. He had no clue what was in Zechariah. He had no clue what was in Isaiah. He had no yep. clue. Yep. He did know when we would, when we would limit it just to Genesis through Deuteronomy. He was aware of those passages. Mm -hmm. Like he, he, he knew them very well, uh, but he had no clue about the prophets or the Psalms or the yep. Bible. It, it's like they're indoctrinated into this. And again, I don't blame Orthodox Jews like that might be raised in New York right now or over time has passed for rejecting the Roman version that's been presented to them of, of Messiah. I, I just, I can't blame them for that. Right. I pray that their eyes would be open. But if you have this people group of 20 million, however many supposed Jews there are right now, and you've got a bunch of so-called believers. And again, it's not my job to judge them either, but now calling them fake Jews or Rothschild, symbolic yeah. conspiracies, it just makes my blood boil. I hear you. I hear you. There, a couple of years ago, there was a few guys that were making a big stink about the Noahide laws and saying, oh, these are going to be what will bring in the end times and all this different stuff. And it made my blood boil as well. I just thought I'd bring yeah, up here. That, so. he, Ski the Hebrew says, Shalomi homies. And then Ingrid says, I have a friend whose family lost lots of land when Israel became a state. He's a Palestinian Christian, but he despises Israel. He insists that modern day Israeli government is the uh, Khazarian mafia. So I, I understand that. I get it. But I also want to point out there are many Israeli Arabs Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. They're Arabs. Okay. They're yeah. Arabs, but they're Israeli citizens. Okay. So they've taken a different path. Instead of siding with Palestine, they've decided to become part of Israel and they realize that things are better. You have a higher standard of living. It's just better all around to join them instead of trying to beat them. And again, I understand it is complicated and I, I can, I have an appreciation for people that lost land and I can understand why there's a hatred. I, I get that. But at some point we have to say it is what it is. The people of Israel are not going to leave. They're not going to decide to just all get a ticket on a boat and float somewhere else. It's not going to happen. Let's be clear. Nobody in Europe wanted the Jews. It wasn't only Hitler that was anti-Semitic. It was very much the Austrians, the Hungarians, Ukrainians, um, the Ukrainians, the Italians, the French, Russians, <laughs> okay, the Polish. They all were like, it's terrible what Hitler is doing, but hey, at least he's taking care of this Jewish problem. All right. It was really complicated. And some people were able to get out of Europe. They got on a boat and they had nowhere to go. And sometimes and some of them had to go back because yeah, various countries, I, if I'm mis correct me if I'm wrong, but I think even the United States would not take in some, if memory serves me, but they went to many places and they could not find a place to get off the boat. It, it's definitely complicated. And as far as God is concerned, he didn't, in fact, give the land 
to the nation of Israel. And that's just a, a theological fact. It's a historical fact. That's not going to change. Now, what is the solution in the interim? I have no idea, but I know the guy who does. His name is Jesus. Okay. And he is going to come back and he's going to set up his kingdom. And the harsh reality is that we're going to have some tough times between here and there. Now, some people have, I've heard it and they've emailed me and Doug, is this it? Is this the end? I do not think so. I don't think that the Hamas-Israel war is the Gog and Magog war. Uh, I don't even think that we're at the beginning of, if you are someone who subscribes to the 70th week of Daniel, which I don't think we're there yet. I think this is very significant. I think this could leave an indelible mark on history, and I think it certainly will. I think it's vile and awful and ugly and terrible what's happening, but I don't think that this is the beginning of the end, okay? I, I think this is yet one more brick in the wall towards something, but I don't think that we're getting yeah. there yet. And, right you know, now, it's still minor and limited, uh, although it, it could mushroom. And, it, and It could, and I'm happy to say I was wrong if this turns into something huge. It is interesting that Hezbollah is doing some saber-rattling, suggesting that they're going to do a whole lot more. If so, Iran could get into that. But let's just take a little stroll down memory lane, okay, because this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. I remember back in 2005, this is when I was a pre-tribber, I was convinced that Iran was this close to actually getting a nuclear bomb. They were talking big talk, President Ahmadinejad, he was saying how he was going to wipe Israel off the map and he was going to take care of the big Satan, that's the United States, and the little Satan, that's Israel. In just one fell swoop, he was going to do all that. And they were imagining a world without Zionism and all this stuff. They, there was a lot of talk and not just talk, but they were actually taking steps. As far as we could tell, they were taking steps to make this a reality. This is not the first time that we've had a conflict. None of us knows where this is going to go. And I would always just urge caution. All right. Because I know there's people out there that have been setting dates as much as they say they're not setting dates, but they are setting dates. Even the morning of uh, last Saturday, I got an email from someone saying, hey, Doug, I told you. And basically, don't you think it's time to finally listen to the truth and all this? But, and but I, I still reject that. I still don't think that we're I don't think we're there, but I think not even that we, we know who we're talking about there. But there was a guy we, he was on the show. One of the very first shows I did with you that he had set. Mm -hmm. September 22nd, as the date, the abomination of desolation would be set up on the Mount of Olives. Well, let's be clear. He said September 22nd, 2023. Is that right? Correct. Right. Okay. That was in his book. Okay. Semi-vague about what exactly the abomination of desolation would be. I gleaned, I, I, on the way over there, I skimmed his book because it's free to me because I get Amazon Kindle. And so I get free books. I, I read your book free and stuff like that. And so I, I skimmed it, and he wasn't very clear about what exactly he thought the abomination was. But I gleaned he really think he was thinking that it would be when they do the red heifer sacrifice on the Mount of Olives. It's interesting. I, I went to Shiloh and I saw the three red heifers, and they're still under qualification to do the red heifer sacrifice. And and I believe that what he thought would be the abomination would be the red heifer sacrifice. And there's another guy I've listened to him and he, and he was also setting September 22nd up. He believed the abomination of desolation was going to be like a nuclear bomb that came in. So you have all these people. And then again, both of these guys know their scriptures, but I just think they, they start to teach 
And then it's like um, this gentleman, I'm not going to say his name right now, but I think about the 10th time he don't, he told me, I don't understand. I, I finally got frustrated and said, and I said, and so it's not that I don't understand your premise. Yeah. It's that I don't agree with your premise. I don't agree with your arguments. Time will tell. But then he started backtracking when things didn't happen on September 22nd. But he was very firm that that was mm -hmm. the date based on when the yep. UN implemented the WHO and the lockdowns in 2020. That started his countdown and he counted up the so many days. So he got to September 22nd uh, and was by golly, it's going to happen. And then when it didn't happen, yep. of course, I went on his YouTube channel and he was getting mockers and scoffers and I didn't do that to him. I just said, but I emailed him and he emailed me back and asked if I wanted to meet in Jerusalem and wander around Mount of Olives. I'm like, no, that's okay. You let me know where it is. And if it's set up, I'll go see it. <laughs> but, and then he actually was uh, trying to get out of uh, Israel. I saw his last uh, post. He was trying to get out, trying to make it to Jordan and then get out. Here's the thing. We're, we're all looking for the end. And when it finally does happen, nobody's going to be going around saying, I told you so, because we're all either going to be running for our lives or we're going to be getting our heads lopped off, or we're going to do our very best to protect our family and our property, whatever it may be, or we're going to be watching what the two witnesses are doing. I don't know. There's all kinds of different scenarios. We just got to be very careful. And that's why when we have people that come on the show and they're very adamant about when it's going to happen. This is, just so people know, this is Joe Dumont that we're talking about. He was on the show. He did make these big, bold claims. We're still here, whatever that means. I don't know. And, it, and again, it's not that we don't understand what he's saying. It's just we didn't agree with the conclusion. I think he's nice, a nice guy, but we got to be very right, careful. And when, when we have brother Tim that comes on and is adamant that <laughs> King Charles is the Antichrist, again, we like to talk about these different ideas because they're fun and they uh, get us to think about things and maybe think outside the box, but we've got to be very careful. What I try to do in my books is I try to lay out the scripture as best I can, but I really, I refrain from start putting current names on these different characters because then I'm going outside of my authority base, my understanding, and that's where we get in trouble. Okay. So it's one thing to argue from scriptures that X, Y, and Z are going to happen. But then we start saying it's going to be in this place with this person specifically. That's when you start getting into big trouble. Again, the very first show I did with you was on this seven-day plan. And nothing is weakening my conviction or understanding. But the one thing I'm not going to do is go on record and say 100% by golly, Yeshua is going to return between 2027 and 2033 or 34. I, in other words, I'm never going to be dogmatic on it unless and until... I see no doubt what is the abomination of desolation. The two witnesses, who I believe does include the both houses, testifying, maybe there's two superhuman prophets, but until I see that, I, I'm not going to get real firm on any date. In other words, I'll if, I, if, if me and you are still chatting in 2034 and nothing has really happened, I'll just say either A, things are wrong or our calendar is more whacked out than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've got a brother on here, Mark, he joined us one time that, that he, he believes it's next year will be, that we'll kick off the final three and a half years, but he's pretty dogmatic on it. I'm just, I tend to be more wiggly. Stephanie pointed out that these 2030 date for the UN and everything, again, I don't think that's coincidence. That's going to be about two days or 2000 years after Yeshua returned to his place. 
uh, my friend, I, I still won't say his name right now, but Messiah 2030, the guy that put that out, he makes some very convincing arguments. He, he put together a well-produced video of the things that I've been studying and believing since I was a kid and put together in that very first show we did. He did a great job on it. Now, I think he should have added question marks behind the title of the movie or the films. In other words, Messiah 2030 question mark. Because I was actually listening last night as I was going to bed. I was so tired, but I was listening to a rebuttal, Messiah 2028. Why Messiah 2030 is <laughs> confluence of years. And there's another brother that he tunes in and watches us. He's pretty adamant that 2028 is the yeah. year. Another one's yeah. automatic that is 2027. For some reason, 2029 gets so <laughs> long. Gavin, he's like 2032, 2033 right now. But None of them are like out on the mountaintop saying, sell your houses. Right. Where this is definitely it. Sure. I wrote a paper myself. This is back when I was a pre-tripper, but I, I wrote a paper suggesting that 1948 was the, the budding of, of the fig tree, the beginning of it. And that this generation that sees the budding of it will by no means pass away. And 1948 plus 70 or 80 per Psalm 90 mm -hmm. takes you to 2018 or 2028. I have, I, I've definitely tapered down on that idea. I never told anybody to sell their house or quit their job, but cons I'm considering the idea that uh, 2048 and then backtrack three years if, for the abomination of desolation would take us to 2045, which has been a very interesting date put out by the transhumanists, suggesting that is when we are going to become transhuman or posthuman, as it were, that we will transcend our humanity. I think that's an interesting date. But here's the bottom line. The, the transhumanists are changing their dates as well because they don't They're care. They, they don't, there's no specific date that they have to do. Kurzweil is now suggesting it's going to be 2030 or 2032 or something like that. We don't know exactly when all this stuff is going to happen. That's why we're told that no one knows the day or the hour, which is probably a reference to the Feast of Trumpets. But still, in the big term, we don't know the day or the hour. We can know the time. We can know the season. And Paul says that, brethren, I have no need to write to you concerning the times and the seasons. For yourselves know that the, Lord, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. We don't know exactly when, but we can right. have a sense that, hey, I think we're, we're, I think we're in that. And that's what we talk about in this show is the time and the season, okay? That right. we're pretty sure we're in the season, but we don't know the day or the hour. I'm choir preaching to you, but I, I believe that the reason Paul wrote that is he had already taught the Thessalonians about the Moedim. In other words, he had taught them that Yeshua fulfilled Passover. He fulfilled first fruits. Hey, by the way, guys, Pentecost was not a new thing that happened on this feast called Shavuot. And so when he says that, I believe, again, it would be wonderful if we actually had some Hebrew, the Hebrew, if he even wrote it in Hebrew. But that word seasons, it, the Greek word there, if you trace it back to the Hebrew, it's the moed, it's the appointed time. And so that's one thing you and I are pretty dogmatic mm -hmm. on. And I think exactly. you can't be dogmatic on that. There is no imminent rapture. Right. There's no imminent gathering. In other words, right. prophecy will be fulfilled on these appointed times, the major events. Now, could there be, and, and we, I'd love to maybe know, do another discussion on this in the future about how. And maybe have Steve Motry on again from Torah, uh, family.org used to be with 119 to discuss Shavuot and his thinking outside the box, which I don't necessarily agree with him, but a lot, like he says, 
A lot of times he disagrees with himself a week ago and he, he might disagree. But he's just really just trying to understand it and watching and just having some different interpretations maybe than Yom Teruah being the day that we're gathered. But I do mm -hmm. think that just as I believe Yeshua partially fulfilled or fulfilled all seven of the Moedim in his first coming, like as far as I believe he was born on Yom Teruah, mm -hmm. uh, Maria makes a great argument that with him being born at the very last part, he actually got circumcised on Yom Kippurim, which starts on the ninth, that he would have been circumcised. And so there was, and that, and that he also, in, in Luke four, when he pronounced the Jubilee, that would have been on Yom Kippurim. He was out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He came, comes in. And I believe that would have been happening on Yom Kippurim. And so I believe there was a lot of prophecy that was partially fulfilled in his first coming, but I believe these Moedim, that's, I think that's the one thing we can be dogmatic on. And my friend Curtis uh, and Michael, they, they're like, if someone is not basing their prophecy teaching on his appointed time, then I'm not saying you can't glean information from them, but they really don't need to be put too much stock in. And here's the cool thing, Doug, is a lot of the Christian dispensationalists who still believe in the preacher of rapture, by the way, like Craig Bong, we had him on. He was like King Charles's Antichrist guy. He believes we're getting raptured out of here in December. <laughs> and he bases that on, I believe, his incorrect understanding of not understanding when winter begins in Israel. He believes it begins in December because Josephus mm -hmm. said, oh, there's only winter and summer in, in scripture. There's no spring and fall. And so he just believes like the 99.99% of us are completely incorrect on, on when Yom Teruah is. And, and so he thinks it's in December and that we're getting raptured out of here. So I told him, I said, if and when we're still here in January, you want to come on the show? He said he would. He's adamant yeah. that 2030 is the date for Yeshua's return. Yeah. And so he's, ad, he's a dogmatic dispensational pre-trip guy. Yeah. Nice, very nice guy. Let's turn our, our attention a little bit to the whole idea of the Gog-Magog war, because there are a, a number of people, I used to be one of them, that is firmly of the belief that where it says the, the prince of Rosh is Russia, Okay, I used to hold to that idea. Now I'm much more of the opinion that it's the chief prince uh, spoken there in Ezekiel chapter 38, 39. There are some people that think, okay, this is what we're seeing right now is basically a power play by Russia. They are pulling the strings behind. We're going to see this escalation and then Russia is going to make their advance towards Israel. And that'll be the Gog-Magog War. I certainly do not hold that opinion anymore. I am firmly of the belief that the Gog-Magog War is the same exact war as Armageddon. All right. And that Gog is, in fact, the beast or the Antichrist. I believe I prove that in Corrupting the Image, Volume 3, where I talk about the meaning of his name, that it comes from Sumerian, and it means, it means enmity or death. It's actually an intensification of the name Ug, which is the same as Og, which means death or enmity. And this is the one that God has spoken of by all his prophets throughout the years. And I remember when I was looking at that, I'm like, wait, where did God ever talk about this guy named Gog? Well, if you understand that he is death and enmity, which there in Genesis 3.15, I will cause enmity between you and the woman. So it's Satan and or a hybrid of Satan, which, uh, again, I've argued is the beast that he will be a, a hybridized version of Satan, that that's who we're really getting at. So I would say that 
the Gog-Magog war cannot and will not happen until the very end. And then Gog himself will be destroyed by Jesus. He'll be destroyed at the second coming. And, and that's where that whole battle is going to take place. And so any thoughts on that? I'm not a linguist like you, and I didn't do the research. I thought your studies and your research was, was well done. And certainly I, I believe Gog is more of a title than it is a, a location. I think Magog is Turkey. A, a lot of people, a great commission just posted it in chat. That, that is the area known as Turkey. And it might be bigger than the current nation state of Turkey. I believe it includes the stands. I call them the stands. I don't think it's any coincidence that they're all Islamic countries. Um, between Turkey, Iran, the stand, you don't need Russia to be part of this invasion. You've got Sudan, you've got the other Muslim countries in the South. And, and I just find it fascinating that Egypt, uh, uh, what we would now call modern day Saudi Arabia and some of the other Arab countries, they're Sunni, they're not part of this attack that, that occurs. They're like, they're watching and concerned about what ha what's happening. Again, I'm hoping that maybe we've got some more time and Hezbollah doesn't get involved and there's not like, I'm hoping that Iran doesn't, but that's what they've been doing the past few years, Doug, is moving military equipment. That's why Israel's been hitting Syria. It's just simply a little proxy war and it's a very delicate yeah. situation. That's and, right. And we, yeah. and we do know at the very end, all the nations will that's come. Right. Now, does that mean America's somehow going to come against? There'd have to be some major policy shifts, which if we've learned anything in the last 10 or 15 years from when Barack Obama was against certain people getting married to now where we are now as a nation and, and men used to be men and women, I don't put anything past this country or any country just going to hell in a handbasket faster than we can think it will. But it does say all the nations it does. come against Jerusalem. And again, yeah. that's when we know. Yep. Where Shua told the leadership of the house of Judah, not every Jew, but those that were the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees that were part of the Sanhedrin. When he said, your house is left you desolate. You will not see me again until you cry out. Baruch Hashem, help me out here. Yeah. Baruch Hashem Hashem Adonai. Yeah. yeah blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right. And, yeah. and, and that's Zechariah being fulfilled. I mean, yep. Yeshua knew where he was quoting from. He is the word of God. And so mm -hmm. that will, at the very end, when all hope seems lost for our brothers, Judah, when everybody's against them, yep. they will cry out. They will. That's win. right. That's right. And so that's yep. why it irritates me so much. These Hebrew uprooters and messiantics who <laughs> are now claiming that the Jews that are now in the current nation state of Israel are all fake Jews or all the synagogue of Satan. Uh, and it, again, it just, that irritates me. At the same point in time, I get a little bit irritated with my dispensational brothers who still <laughs> can't see that they're Israel too. <laughs> like when I see a post that says, pray for Israel, I'm like, of course we should pray for Israel. We are Israel. And that includes Romans 11. Those natural branches who have been broken off due to their unbelief in Yeshua, but will be grafted back again. And then right. Israel will be set. So what, what's interesting about this is that for the last 2000 years, more or less, the entity that we know as Israel, and I'm going to leave that a little bit vague for the moment, ha has been outside of the land, has been dispersed, etc. And so Israel has still existed as a, an idea. It's existed within the people of the house of Judah. 
And also, it has existed as, quote-unquote, the church, okay, as people have come into faith through Messiah. He's the door. In fact, this kind of just, I had this epiphany today, and I'm like, why did I not see this ages ago? All right, so I'm teaching in John chapter 10, right? And Jesus said, hey, I'm the good shepherd, right? And all who've tried to come before and go around and come from the outside, they're thieves and, and liars, all right? And I was like, okay, so Messiah is the good shepherd. I went back to Ezekiel 34, where God is talking about how the shepherds ought to feed the flock, but they haven't been. They've been fleecing the flock and eating the flock. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the flock is Israel, all right? The sheep are Israel. And then God says, I myself am going to go out and I'm going to look for my lost sheep and bring them back to me. Jesus then says he only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So then I'm thinking, okay, the sheep that are in this little sheep fold, they're Israel. All right. Now, where the way I grew up is I was always hearing sheep are believers and Jesus came to save us all. And I'm like, okay, that's, I don't dispute that. But, I, but there's a deeper story here, which is that God is bringing us into the commonwealth of Israel. So he has cared about Israel the whole time, but now we're at the end of all things, right? I'm not saying we're at the very end, but we're at the end of the end. We're at the beginning of the end or somewhere in there, maybe the middle of the end. I don't know. We're coming up toward the end of this age where now Israel, the nation, which is in large part populated by the house of Judah, right? They are back in the land. There is a government there. And it's significant that it is Judah. You mentioned this already, Scott. But it's significant that it's Judah, because Judah, they're the ones who, as a, uh, a national governing body, rejected Jesus. And again, I mean that the leaders rejected Jesus, not the populace, but the leaders rejected Jesus. And he gave them an ultimatum in Mar Matthew 23. And he says, you scribes and Pharisees, and he gives them all these woes. And he says, you will, not, you will not see me again until you say, as you said it, Baruch HaBashem Adonai, right? So they have to say that before he can come back. That's what's so astounding about this, right? Somebody else said that in the comments. I've written about that in my books, right? You've mentioned it as well, Scott. They cannot, Jesus will not come back until the leadership of Judah says, Baruch Beshem Adonai. All right. All the things that we're seeing now, the wars and the rumors of wars and all this stuff, this is all leading up to a climactic moment when they finally cry out and they say, Baruch Beshem Adonai, you are the king. We acknowledge you, Yeshua. And then it says in Zechariah that they're going to weep. They're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Here's what's the other thing that's interesting is the in the Talmud and other places, it talks about Messiah, son of Joseph, that he would be the suffering servant. He would be the one that would fight Gog and Magog, and he would die in that battle. And they ascribe Zechariah 12 where it says that they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, they ascribe that to the death of Messiah ben Joseph. Now, quick, uh, a quick quiz, okay, pop quiz for everybody. <laughs> what was the name of 
Jesus' adoptive father. Hold on. I'll give you a second to think about that. Joseph. (laughs) And grandfather. That's right. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is astounding, right? That he was in fact the son of Joseph as well, right? So he was the Messiah son of Joseph, the one who would suffer, who would die. And it was also prophesied in the rabbinic teachings that he would come back on the third day, right? So this is not just New Testament Christian stuff. This is some, this is stuff that the, that the Jews were understanding in relationship to Messiah, son of Joseph. All right. Now, the problem is when we Christians present Jesus, we always talk about him being Messiah, son of David. And indeed, he is Messiah, son of David, but he's also Messiah, son of Joseph. And so in their own prophecies, their own studies and teachings, they are already looking for someone who would do that. And it's in the person of Yeshua. And in their defense, Messiah did not fulfill all the messianic prophecy. He did not. And that's where in Acts, when Peter asked him, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Mm. uh, Israel? Now, of course, as a dispensationalist growing up as a little boy and everything, I didn't understand that. Peter fully well understood the prophecies and how Messiah would gather all of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Isaiah 11, he would gather Ephraim and Judah. There would no longer be this jealousy and this tension and, the, and, and, and this animosity between the two houses. And so Peter was thinking, is it going to, are you doing it now? And Yeshua told him, no, it's not for you to know right now. And I think later on, it was revealed to Peter when he wrote second Peter, I believe he's all but screaming because he's talking about the return of Yeshua. And he's saying in the latter days, mockers and scoffers will come. They'll deny the creation. That didn't happen until about two or 300 years ago. They'll deny the flood. That didn't happen until a lawyer decided to be a geologist and determine that uniformitarianism, rivers flow uphill and form the Grand Canyon, as opposed to there being a catastrophic event, a lake, a dam burst, and that in the little mini St. Helens Canyon. And he tells him, God is not slow about his promises. That's right. Do not be ignorant of this one fact. And, and so that's one reason I'm not yep. dogmatic like 100% on it, but I don't think we're witnessing what we're witnessing. You and I talking about this, you and I now understanding that Shabbat and his Moedim are applicable to us as opposed to Sunday and Easter and Christmas. I've gotten a little lighter and more understanding as I came out of a little for terrorism state, but it doesn't change the truth of this, that yes, these are his appointed times. And he mm-hmm. holds Keep them as dress rehearsals for what is coming. And it's just everything I like to say that Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 30 are in the infancy stages still. They might be in the adolescent stage right now of being fulfilled as more and more. Like our little congregation here in Birmingham has grown out of like 200 people. We had over 200 attend the Yom Teruah service. We had over 100 that did Sukkot all week. And these are a bunch of Baptists and like people that grew up Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic or whatever. And now... All of a sudden, we're just forming a congregation and mm. understanding that we are Israel, but not replacing yep. Judah. Right, yeah. right. Tiki 71 says, the Islamic beast empire went away in 1923, 100 years ago, created the conditions to put the Jews back into the land, WW2, and Turkey really wants to revive it. They conquered the Eastern Roman Empire. I thought that was interesting. Mm. There's probably a lot of a lot of things we could talk about in that regard. Two it's the two legs. Rome never went away. She just That's morphed right. into the holy, which it wasn't holy. Right, right. Roman Empire. Yeah, and as he yeah there's the Byzantine it. Empire. 
And then that was conquered by the know. Muslims or the Turks. She never went away. She just, That's right. you yep. don't see Rome being destroyed in the Daniel 2 statue until Yeshua yeah. returned. I think we're at 10 toe stages right now. Yeah, and I think so we're, getting really, we're getting really close. So we must be getting super duper close. Yeah, it, it's pretty interesting how all that's coming together. We'll see. Yeah, certainly Erdogan has some desire to, to get back in there. Another one said, I thought that was funny. Harry says, I think Satan may have 2032 penciled in, but God determines the timing. And that is very important, right? Uh, God is the only one who gets to decide when the curtain goes up. All Satan can do is have the stage set to the best of his ability, but he doesn't know when the curtain's going up, right? So that's absolutely God's prerogative. God is the one who will allow Jesus there to take the scroll and to start breaking the seals. And that's when it all starts happening and becomes biblical, as or, you like to say. Or they, some of them already be broken. And again, that's what me and you differ on that. I believe we yeah. could be in the final seven years of this age because I'm not looking for an antichrist to make a covenant with the many. So I believe we could be, could already be in the final seven years. The, the only event I'm really looking toward before I ever set a date would be, if there's no doubt, I said it earlier, no doubt, by golly, this is the abomination of desolation standing in the holy topos. Topos, does it? it's not naos. It's not the Greek word for temple. It's a place. And I don't, yeah. it's not dogmatic on where that place is. I don't believe it's been put in place yet in spite of what Joe said and some of these other people have said. Um, so I think it happens on a future Passover, by the way, or, or during the spring Moedim, because that just dovetails in nicely with Yeshua returning three and a half years later on a Yom Teruah. Yeah, I hear you. And there were some people mentioning some conspiracy theories. And again, and, and to your point, Doug, as far as Satan and everything, Satan can't do anything unless... Yah allows it. And so when we see these seals being broken, it's Yeshua breaking the seals. So whether or not, whether or not what I still believe maybe the first seal was the the pandemic and everything. And I don't think it, I don't think it ever start stops riding. If this, the events with Russia and, and now America and the West depleting our military capabilities, and you've got the rise of Islam in China within a week. The whole situation could blow up and change, but until it happens, I wouldn't be dogmatic that we are definitely in the second seal. So we haven't seen worldwide famine yet. We're definitely not in the third seal, but everything's in place. Absolutely. Yeah. NATO was mentioning this quote from Albert Pike, which I think is really interesting. And I actually have the entire quote. I was just uh, trying to pull that up. Of course, there's some discussion as to where this quote actually came from. But I thought it'd be kind of fun. So this is from Albert Pike. He was a 33rd degree Mason. So, so people understand that. He says the First World War must be brought in about in order to permit the Illuminati to overthrow the power of the czars in Russia and of making that country a fortress of atheistic communism. The divergences caused by the agenter agents of the Illuminati between the British and Germanic empires will be used to foment this war. At the end of the war, communism will be built and used in order to destroy the other governments and in order to weaken the religions. World War II must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences between the fascists and the political Zionists. This war must be brought about so that Nazism is destroyed and that the political Zionism be strong enough to institute a sovereign state of Israel in Palestine. During the Second World War, international communism must become strong enough in order to balance Christendom 
which must then be then restrained and held in check until the time when we need it for the final social cataclysm. Now, before I go to World War III, let me just remind people that there's something known as a, a dialectic. Okay, so there's a, a thesis, there's an antithesis, and then we have synthesis, all right? So what he's laying out here is you have a thesis, then an antithesis, and now we're going to lead to synthesis. Okay, so in the final one here, what he says is, the third world war must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agenter of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and the leaders of Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam, the Muslim Arabic world, and political Zionism, the state of Israel, mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, the other nations, once more divided on this issue, will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, spiritual, and economical exhaustion. We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm, which in all horror will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and the most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere, the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization and the multitude disillusioned with Christianity, whose deistic spirits will from that moment be without compass or direction, anxious for an ideal, but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light, thinks Satan, through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, Satan, brought finally out in the public view. This manifestation will result from the general reactionary movement, which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. Uh, this is where when I hear people say, oh, Islam is going to be like they, they are the agent of Antichrist. I'm like, no, I don't think so. That there will be wars and stuff between Israel and Muslims. Yes. But, and I think Elmer Pike, or at least whoever wrote that, it's ascribed to him, that there's going to be, again, thesis, antithesis, until we get to synthesis. So in, in the eyes of Elmer Pike, who wrote that, or the author thereof, the synthesis is the eventual manifestation, open for all to see, of Lucifer or Satan. And that's what we would know. That's what the Bible calls the beast or the dragon giving his authority to the beast, et cetera. It's an interesting quote, somewhat and debated, but. I've made this point earlier when I, I do believe there is a Satan, satanic Luciferian conspiracy and at the upper levels, and I'm going to go ahead and include Roman Catholicism, Islam, and Judaism, the Kabbalah. In other words, those at the upper echelon at the very top of this food chain. They know who they worship. They worship Lucifer. They were, they, they and, and, and that's where Freemasonry came in. And, but again, we can't lump in all Muslims. I was, again, I had a great conversation with a Muslim man from Egypt. His name was Muhammad for about an hour. And probably 95, 99% of Muslims are not these true believers that want to exterminate all Jews or hate all Christians and behead. We're not, not every Muslim is a terrorist, not. Certainly not every Jew is a Kabbalah Luciferian. Right. And, and I just, it, it, it's almost, yes. Is there a satanic conspiracy? Conspiracy? Yes. But we're not to fear that conspiracy. That's you know? right. I, I think yeah. it's Isaiah 8 or is it, is it either yes. Isaiah 8 or yes. Isaiah 11. Yeah, the and, and so is there a conspiracy in the, the world, global elite, the, those at the upper levels of this 
Luciferian agenda are all in cahoots with one another. I have no doubt about it. It's just, how can we really know? And I'm certainly not going to cast a, the local Jewish rabbi in Birmingham and the local Jewish pop- population in, in, in Birmingham and condemn them or either the Muslims here or, or, mm-hmm. or the Roman Catholics. Or, or yeah, most of them just want to raise their families and have a good job and just do human stuff. <laughs> That's what most of them are trying to do. I, I learned that as well when I was living in Israel. I, I met a lot of very wonderful Muslims. I met some very nice Palestinians as well. So we've got to be very careful that we don't broad brush yeah. and paint everybody as yeah. being yeah. uh, on yeah. the side of Satan because they're not on my side or something like that. It's the more young, complicated than that. The young man that drove me from one location to another location close to the old city, he was a Palestinian. He lived in the old city, actually. And because they didn't have a car for me on King David Street, he drove me over to a parking lot, or I guess they parked their, their cars. And we had a great little conversation. He said, are you a Christian? I said, well, I believe in Yeshua's Messiah. He was actually interested, and we had a good little talk about that. And so I got to share with, 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 with him a little bit. And- That's really a, a great idea, because when you say Christian, then you have to own all of the bad things that Christianity has done. You've got to you have to be re- personally responsible for the Inquisition. You're personally responsible for the Holocaust because these were done by Christians and all this. It's good advice to just say, I'm a guy that follows Yeshua or Jesus. This is from James. He says, how do you explain what is written on the Pope's hate vicar of Christ, which is in the stead of Yeshua? Numerated, it comes up to 666 in Latin and Greek. You know, I, I, I personally, I think that that the Roman Catholic Church, the head of the Roman Catholic Church, is part of the problem. I don't think they are the problem. Okay, again, they're part of the problem. Just I think New York City is part of the problem. I think Hollywood is part of the problem. I think Russia and America are part of the problem, but I don't think they are the problem. And as far as numerology is 666, man, there's a lot of stuff that comes up as 666 if you just plug it in the right way. And so I, I'm very skeptical of just plugging it in the right way. Now, if you guys are interested, if you want to check out my thoughts on that, I've done some extensive research. It's in Corrupting the Image. I show all kinds of scientific things. I show a lot of linguistic things as well. I'll let you be the judge. Okay, that's up to you. But I'm not convinced that the Pope himself is the Antichrist. Oh. And is he a bad player? Maybe. Okay, maybe. I'm, I've got, I don't have a problem with that. He's still my favorite candidate for the false prophet, though. And, and that could be. I'm just saying, he, he would be the number one, whoever the vicar is, the, the, which means anti-Messiah. It just does. He claims, to yeah. be, he claims to be able to speak infallibility. Roman, even Constantine wasn't that bad. This grew over time, like religion does. Like Judea, the Judaism that the young man that sat on the airplane by me, that he's been taught in no way even resembles the Judaism that you mentioned, Rabbi Akiba. In other words, that sort of was the start as that revolt happened. It separated all the Jewish people that believed in Yeshua because they actually knew scripture and they got the heck out of Jerusalem and they would Mm -hmm. not follow the rabbi and not declare Bar Kokhba as the Messiah. So that that started the rift even worse between the two religions that ultimately developed Christianity and Judaism. And they all, and, and you know this, everybody probably listening to this knows, they all have many flavors. You go over to Israel and you'll see ultra-Orthodox, you'll see Orthodox, you'll see conservatives, you'll see a lot of Israelis not wearing kippahs. Mm-hmm. It's 
both have strayed so far off the path. If we just, that's why I like to say, I just, I'm a follower of Yeshua. He's the word of God made flesh. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Just do what he says. Bill so, said, according to Trey, uh, Gog and Magog is judgment after a thousand years. Seriously, lull. Who are these people? Okay. Unfollow these men of Mystery Babylon because I'm sure that they've taken that oath or two. <laughs> okay. He's getting that from Revelation 20. And again, yeah. Ezekiel 38 and 39 are hard passages, I think. Huh. The problem that there is a problem because it does say that this army that invades is invading a nation of unwalled villages. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's been theories proposed that there will be this future covenant with the many mm -hmm. in which Israel will no longer need its military or whatever. Now, I've always thought that even if that were to happen, there had to be some heck of a war in which mm -hmm. nukes are used or EMPs or biological weapons, which is so horrible that the whole world. You know, the word, uh, the word, the word bata, it can also be bitachon. Bitachon is the word for security. It says that they're, it's not that they're dwelling in safety necessarily, but they're dwelling in security. Right. And so that's another way to look at it that, and I think you could argue that Israel today is probably the most secure, maybe not today, as of this week, because of well, the war that's been happening. Saturday morning. Yeah. Maybe with it, maybe that has to be an exception. But still, as a people group over the last 2000 years, have they ever been this well secured? No, they've been quite exposed. They've not had any kind of military standing in any country, right? They have been the outcasts. They have been the ones that have been just trying to keep their head down and not to be uh, noticed too much and to not get picked on. And Israel is in a place where they can truly fight back. I would say being able to muster 300,000 reservists, that's a lot of bitachon. That is a lot of security. It, and if you, and, and I show this in, in Crypt English 3, that the word bitachon or tach, which is the same word there, that it doesn't always refer to someone who is, is impregnable, right? You actually see that, I forget which country it was, but I think it was Edomite or somebody, but they were saying that they are dwelling in safety and then the very next sentence, they're getting decimated, right? So it doesn't, it just means that they're comfortable. They feel that there's a certain sense of, okay, we're all right, but we're actually prepared for war. I, I think we could probably go back and revisit that word and take a, a deeper look at that. And as far as Gog, if my theory is correct, that Gog is referring to, because it's a Sumerian word, I challenge anybody to come up with the actual Hebrew for the word Gog. You're not going to find it. So by all means, go ahead. According to my research, it is a Sumerian word. Sumerian is probably the oldest language in the world. And it means enmity or death. All right. Based on that, who does that fit like a glove? Satan, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, Satan was the king of death. Uh, he was the god of death. Again, there's lots and lots of literature that talks about that. I show the linguistics of it. I show the literature that's talking about that. And so Gog is a reference to Satan slash the beast at the time of the tribulation. And then after the thousand years, it is Satan because he is the main player. He's the one that that God is really talking about. The beast simply becomes a tool in the hands of the dragon, in the hands of Satan.
because we know that the dragon is going to give his power, throne, and authority to who? To the beast, right? So the beast is simply a a tool that he's using to accomplish his own goals. And so I, I show the linguistic connection between the word Gog or the name Gog or, or title, if you will, and uh, Satan. I think we've I'm sure we've done this in the past two or three years. We've probably discussed the Gog and Magog War, whether or not that would be the Battle of uh, Armageddon. And I know we've talked about that on the show before, as far as your understanding. And I believe you're 100% correct. It's not, it's not in the big valley that five years ago when I went out there and went up on the tail and looked down and go, oh, one day the armies are going to come. Oh, now they may use that out. That's a route, an avenue. And from being on Mount Hermon, you can tell where the Northern armies are going to come from. And mm. it's going to pass right there. Right, right. There, there's a wall. And one reason my wife was so mad at me is because I really thought something might go down while I was there. And she was so mad on Saturday. Oh, man, Scott, we're out of time. But before we go, I want to just invite people, if they're interested, uh, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, I've put into a novel called Regenesis Code. You can listen to it for free, narrated by yours truly. But you can listen to it on YouTube. So just put in Re Regenesis Code into the search there in YouTube and you can listen to it. If you want, you can go to Amazon. You can buy it uh, as a paper book and ebook, or you can go to Audible and get it there as an uh, audiobook as well. But it is for free right now on, on YouTube. And I would ask you guys to keep this in prayer because my co-author and I want to make this into a, a TV series. We believe that the way to really get the message to people about the kingdom of God is to put it in a way, in a, a medium that people are already using. Of course, that is TV or screens of some sort. We've seen incredible success with The Chosen. Whatever you think about that, whether you like it or hate it, doesn't really matter. A lot of people have watched that and it's influenced people, right? And so we're trying to do the same thing, but on an end times, action packed UFO zombies and all that kind of fun stuff type of TV series based on Regenesis code. We're going to have four books all together, and we're really terribly excited about that. And so we're working hard on getting a, a crowdfunding campaign going. Well, I'll keep you up to date as to when that will be coming out. And if you guys want to sow into that, would be fantastic. But please do pray. We'd, we'd really appreciate prayers for that. Thank you for that. Until next time, we hope you do well. God bless everyone. And Scott, I'm really glad that you're back because <laughs> the show is less fun without you. Glad you're back. But we're going to have some great guests in the near future. We're going to have Derek Gilbert on pretty soon. We're going to have Paul Begley on. He was going to be on several weeks ago. His schedule got all messed up. So that was a bummer. And, and more to come. So we look forward to it. And until next time, God bless you guys.